Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, I usually stay away from politics on this show for good reason. After all, politics come and go, but our eternal salvation is just that. It's eternal, and it's forever and ever and ever. So it's far more important than anything that happens uh, you know, during the 80 or 100 years that we might be on earth between birth and death. However, it's been very hard to ignore politics the last few weeks for an obvious reason. And I found myself praying to very fervently, particularly to the Blessed Virgin Mary, for a happy outcome for our country, that it be uh, led in the right direction, in the godly direction, in the pro-life direction, dare I say even in the uh, Christian direction, although I'd be happy to say Judeo-Christian direction if you like, rather than um, in the, you know, globalist, one-world government, um, Planned Parenthood direction. That's now, basta, now I'm finished with the politics. However, I've been saying a lot of rosaries for that intent, and so I wanted to do something on this show a little bit unusual, which is I wanted to talk about or tell the stories of a couple of huge historic turnarounds, which were the fruit of people saying the rosary. And in fact, Uh, several incidents in which the Blessed Virgin Mary herself interceded in human affairs in order to end wars, prevent wars, change the course of history, because she is not only the Queen of Heaven, and she not only cares about our eternal salvation, but she is the Queen of Creation, and when we pray to her, she takes our prayers, and she envelops them in her own, and she passes them on to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, after all, are her father, her spouse, and her son, so she carries quite a bit of weight. And our prayers get even more answered because they've passed through the hands of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, since this is Radio Maria, I thought it would be wonderful to read a couple of these very stirring and um, stories that just confirm our confidence in her intercession and confirm the importance of our prayer. And that's really my, you know, hidden agenda for this is I really, really, really wish that everyone would pray continually for a happy outcome to the current situation. And uh, prayer does change history. So let me go through at least these two stories. I don't know how much time I'll have. This is a live call-in program before I get taken away by the stories. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or uh, if you use Skype or anywhere you are in the world, you can Skype in to Radio Maria USA Studio, I believe, is the uh, Skype address. Uh, and I'll be happy to take your calls. And I can interrupt myself because I'm reading, so I won't lose the train of thought too terminally. 
But let me tell the first story. N neither of these stories are well known, by the way. I mean, we all know about the Battle of Lepanto. I hope we all know, many of us know, and so forth. But um, these are both very poorly known stories. And the first one is a case, an incident, in which the Blessed Virgin Mary changed the course of World War I. That's pretty big, isn't it? The Germans were uh, would have been very likely to have won World War I if the Blessed Virgin Mary didn't personally intervene. So, And it had a lot to do with the Rosary and a lot to do with Our Lady of Lourdes, so let me hit it. I'm reading from a book that I actually helped edit called and contributed to now that I think of it, called um, uh, Major Marian Shrines of France, um, and is still in print as by the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate. Um, I don't remember whether it's called Major Marian Shrines of France or just Marian Shrines of France, maybe just Marian Shrines of France. Anyway, so here goes. This is the story of the Battle of the Marne during World War I, uh, which was a decisive battle, but you'll hear it as I read the story. So just starting at the beginning, the national television program called Alcoa Presents opened with a court-martial of some German soldiers during World War I. The half-hour program was one of a series of authentic stories of supernatural experiences. The soldiers were being court-martialed for what they carelessly revealed that had been top secret. What was this top secret for which they were eventually shot? Each soldier told an identical story of seeing, during the decisive First Battle of the Marne, which checked the German advance, a lady in white with a blue sash around her waist. Each told his version. One said that when he saw the lady, he was unable to move. The next soldier had a similar story to tell. With reason, the German high command did not wish this to be known. As the Battle of the Marne in 1914 checked the German advance, which would otherwise have easily taken Paris in days thereby, of course, changing the course of the war. Raymond Reculli, in his study, Falk, the winner of the war, describes the brilliant leadership of Marshal Falk in the fierce four-day Battle of the Marne, which he held, was the greatest military victory of all time. In his analysis, he attributed the victory to the Marshal's teaching of the French war school, that battles are won morally, rather than by superior forces and firepower. When he ordered the attack at the Battle of the Marne, one of his generals objected that his troops were exhausted. The marshal answered, The Germans are still more so. You will attack. But over and above the iron will of this indomitable soldier and his genius in making a right move at the critical time, what wasn't mentioned in this account was the hidden and invincible power of prayer and the place of the sacred heart of Jesus in the victory. Falk and many of the French soldiers wore on their uniforms an emblem of the heart of Jesus. On the white panel of the miniature French flag was woven the heart of Jesus as described by St. Margaret Mary and beneath it in letters of gold Espoir et salut de la France, hope and salvation of France. 
Hilliard Atteridge, in his book Marshal Ferdinand Falk, writes, quote, The religion that he was taught in his Pyrenean home and later in the Jesuit college was something not merely to be professed, but to be practiced. It had been a real force in the shaping of his career. Day after day he found time for morning mass and went again to pray before the altar. It was enough for him that he finds help in prayer and that in times of danger the sacraments of the church are for him, as well as for the simple soldier in the ranks, the well-known way of preparing to face death as the beginning of a new life. He was more than once seen among his soldiers on the actual battlefront, kneeling among his officers and men at the masses celebrated under the open sky. When a telegram arrived that required his immediate attention, he was sought and found alone in a little chapel, kneeling in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. As mentioned above, Marshal Falk came from the Pyrenees. His mother had a saintly little friend whom she would accompany at times to pray a rosary in the grotto just outside the little town of Lourdes. The name of her little companion? St. Bernadette Subaru. Understandably, the friend of Bernadette, the marshal's mother, brought him up to have a special love of Mary and her rosary. Always be faithful to your rosary, she used to tell him. Never let a day go by without saying it devoutly. When it came time for him to die, the famous general held a rosary in his hand. So let me um, uh, kind of simultaneously give a little bit of a summary and a little bit of a foretaste of what's about to come. The Battle of the Marne changed the course of World War I. If the Germans had won the Battle of the Marne, they would have taken Paris within a few days and quite likely won the war. Now, the French general who defeated the Germans at the Battle of the Marne was Marshal Falk. Marshal Falk was a very devout Catholic. In fact, his mother had been a childhood friend of Bernadette Subaru, of course, St. Bernadette of Lourdes, and used to go with St. Bernadette Subaru as little girls, or maybe not little girls, maybe teenagers, who knows, to the grotto to pray the rosary. The Battle of the Marne, historians and military strategists attribute to Falk having been a brilliant strategist and just directing the troops very, very brilliantly. But in fact, the Germans reported that they had been unable to move because of an essentially an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that the Blessed Virgin Mary had appeared and stopped the Germans in their tracks to the point where some of them reported having been physically unable to move. Now, the German high command wanted to keep that secret. They did not want the world to know that God was on the side of France in World War I, and they actually made it a top secret that could not be revealed under penalty of death. So a number of the soldiers who had actually recounted what they experienced, the appearance of the Blessed Virgin Mary, were executed by the German army for having divulged this top secret secret. Um, back to the text. This national French hero, that's Marshal Falk, 
who was awarded the Grand Cross of the Legion of, Ar- of Honor, recognized where victory came from. He used to say, quote, I interiorly consecrated my armies to the Blessed Virgin, whose rosary I recited every day. I think that I did not miss a single day in reciting it, including the most terrible times of battle, when I had no rest, night, or day. How often did I see her manifest intercession in the decisions which I made in choosing a precise tactic. Take then the advice of an old soldier seasoned by experience. Do not neglect the recitation of the rosary for any reason. Now, of course, I am reading this account as an exhortation that as many people as possible recite the rosary daily for the intention of a happy outcome to the election between now and when the election is, as they say in French, a fait accompli. In other words, the result is no longer changeable. However, that's not the case now. So, and if it does um, come out in a favorable direction in the eyes of God, it will be as a result of our prayers, and more specifically, as a result of our praying the rosary and the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hence, I am reading this powerful account of a historical intervention of the Blessed Virgin Mary changing the direction of World War I. Now, returning to the book, quote, Now to return to the account above of the young German soldiers being court-martialed. An independent verification of Our Lady of Lourdes appearing before the advancing German army is found in an article, Stories of the Great War, that appeared in the French magazine La Semaine d'Averbaud, Everybody's Weekly, of April 10, 1927. The following is a translation from the French, quote, A German priest, wounded and taken prisoner at the Battle of the Marne, died in a French ambulance where sisters were nursing. He said to them, As a soldier, I ought to keep silence. As a priest, I think it is my duty to tell you what I have seen during the Battle of the Marne. All of us were dumbfounded at being pushed back, because, compared to the French forces, we were legion and quite expected to reach Paris soon. We saw the Blessed Virgin dressed in white, with a blue sash around her waist. She was looking towards the south. She was turning away from us, and her right hand seemed to be pushing us back. I saw her, and a great many of our men saw her too. In an independent account, two German officers, wounded and taken prisoners in the same battle, were in a Red Cross ambulance. A nurse who understood German accompanied them. When they entered a ward in the hospital where a statue of Our Lady of Lourdes was in a conspicuous place, they looked at each other for a few brief moments and then exclaimed, Oh, the Virgin of the Marne. The nurse tried to get them to explain, but they refused. A nun nursing the wounded at Isil Molyneux writes, Among the wounded soldiers was a German who it was thought would soon die. Thanks to the good care lavished upon him, he lived more than a month. He was a Catholic and gave proofs of an ardent faith. Since all the infirmarians were priests, spiritual help was not lacking. Deeply moved by the care he received, 
He did not know how to express his gratitude and repeated unceasingly, I should like to do something to thank you. At last, on the day he received the last sacraments, he said to one of the priests, I am your enemy, and yet you treated me like one of your own. I want to do something for you by telling you of an incident which is not in our favor, but in that way I shall repay my debt to you. If I were at the front, I would be shot, as it has been forbidden to us under the penalty of death to repeat what I am going to tell you. You must have been surprised at our falling back when we had nearly reached the gates of Paris, but we simply could not advance any further. A virgin was standing before us, pushing us back each time we received orders to advance. We were as though nailed to the ground. We finally realized it was the Blessed Virgin. On September 8th, the feast of her nativity, she repelled us so forcefully that we all fled. In conclusion, we have a devout Catholic general whose mother was a companion of St. Bernadette in praying the Rosary of the Grotto at Lourdes, who himself prayed the Rosary daily, consecrated his armies to the Blessed Virgin, and spent an hour of prayer the first thing in the morning and another hour in prayer at night. He and many of his men wore a sacred heart patch on their uniforms. He was the man who turned the tide in the Battle of the Marne. But did he? There is solid evidence that besides his ardent prayers and military genius, he had a woman beside, uh, behind him who had all the power of God behind her and didn't hesitate to use it at the appropriate time in answer to prayers. So there you have the account, needless to say, a true historical account of the intervention of the Blessed Virgin Mary at a decisive battle of World War I, the Battle of the Marne. There, is, there are any number of confirmations of the truth of this apparition, let's say. One is the fact that the German soldiers were, um, uh, were under sentence of death if they revealed this secret. Now, obviously, the German high command would have no interest in shooting, you know, in executing the soldiers who told the story if the story was not true. And yet there were German soldiers who were executed for recounting the story. Then you also have the fact that there were a number of um, witnesses, let's say, to Germans recounting the story. We have the account of, um, uh, we have a account of a, a soldier who was also a Catholic priest. And so when he was in the ambulance going to the French hospital, he felt a duty as a priest to tell the nurse in the ambulance what had happened, which was that the Blessed Virgin Mary had appeared. And then uh, there was another account where two German officers who were um, taken prisoners in that battle, when they were entering the hospital, they passed a statue of Our Lady of Lourdes, and one said to the other in German, oh, look, the Virgin of the Marne. So they recognized the statue as the Virgin who had appeared to them and stopped them. And then there's at least one third account, which is a wounded German soldier 
who was on the about to die and he was being cared for in a French hospital by French nuns and he wanted before he died to repay them by recounting the story. So, and of course, we have the beautiful divine providence coincidence that the French general who led his troops to victory in this battle and thereby turned the tide of World War I, so to speak, maybe that's not the right expression because it still lasts a long time, but prevented the French's, France's uh, defeat in World War I, was himself a devout Catholic that he wore a sacred heart um, sewn onto his uniform, that many of his men wore the sacred heart on their uniform above a motto saying, um, let me get it right, hope and salvation of France, referring to the sacred heart, which was a motto that, that I believe comes from, well, I don't want to guess. I thought it came from St. Margaret Mary, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And that this mysterious general Falk prayed, did not miss a day praying the rosary and doing morning and evening prayer, even though he went days without sleep at times in the heat of battle. And as though that weren't enough, his mother, who had filled him with his piety and faith in the Blessed Virgin Mary and taught him to pray the rosary, herself as a girl used to pray the rosary with her little friend who just happened to be St. Bernadette Subaru. And where did they pray the rosary? They prayed the rosary in the Grotto at Lourdes. So, um, if you didn't believe in divine providence, and if you didn't believe in the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the power of the rosary, before hearing this story, um, I certainly hope that you do now. Anyway, that's the end of the first story. I have a couple of more stories of this of uh, intercessions in history by the Blessed Virgin Mary. But this is a live call-in program. So I invite callers also because I'm not racing to get through my material today. I, I don't feel under a tremendous pressure of time. So if you wish to call in with a question or a comment or um, a story about the Blessed Virgin Mary, you uh, please do. And the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Or on Skype, Radio Maria USA Studio. So um, with that, actually, to, in order to, um, before I launch into the second story, let me take a short break. I'm a few minutes early. I know it's usually at the half hour, but um, let me take a few uh, minutes, uh, a little few minute long musical break. And at the same time, if you wish to call in with a comment or a question, as I said, the number here is 866-333-6279. When we come out of the musical break, I will uh, first thing look at the call board. And if there's a call in, I will take the call. So it's, it's a very easy time to make the transition from, from me just speaking to responding to your calls. So with that, let me, uh, let us go to that musical break and I will be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman, 
Oh, and by the way, this music that I'm about to play is to Salve Regina, the Hail Holy Queen. And I chose this not only because it's a beautiful hymn, a beautiful hymn to the Blessed Virgin Mary, but Hail Holy Queen. And what do queens do? Queens bring about victories. Queens direct armies. You realize that St. Michael the Archangel, in all of his glorious armor and his tremendous power, who's his commanding officer? It's the Blessed Virgin Mary. So she really is. Hail, Holy Queen. So with that, let's go to the Salve Regina. Salve Regina Mater It's hard to come back after such beautiful heavenly singing, as well as the beautiful prayer that, of course, um, was the content of the song. But uh, I'm very grateful. I I see we have a a caller. Are you there, Valentina? Uh, Yes, I am, Roy. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Um, uh, Did you have a a comment or a question? I just have a a Actually, I have a comment. I just wanted to take the opportunity to call and 
just let you know this is just wonderful. It's just a blessing because I'm one of your followers on YouTube. And I recently just finished reading your book after actually following you for over the last two and a half years. And um, it's just incredible um, that you have the energy to do what you do. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you. And I'm sure for many others. And that was pretty much the reason for the purpose of my call. Thank you so much for all well, you do. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Um, uh, it's As you know, if you follow my YouTube channel, um, it's a great joy. It's a great pleasure. I get a tremendous amount of gratification and consolation out of it. And it's good for my, frankly, it's very good for my prayer life and for my relationship with God. I mean, you know, I get, you know, spiritually charged up from it too. And that's not even talking about the retirement plan because I'm very much looking forward. I'm very much looking forward to heaven. And I'm very much looking forward to as great a heaven as possible. So uh, anyway, so I have selfish reasons as well for doing it. But thank you so much for um for watching and for listening and um so much thank you uh, let me take the opportunity to make a little plug and then i'll go and i see we have uh, another caller on the line so i'll get to him in a minute but let me make a little plug that um if you're not sick of me after listening to me for an hour a week on this radio show uh, i do have a youtube channel and i do actually pretty much daily do a live streamed show on uh, on YouTube. Some of it's prayer, and some of it is um, you know spiritual talking. Sometimes the talking is purely spiritual, but I do also allow myself to be a little bit more um, in relationship to the daily news. Let's say on the um, on the YouTube live stream because it really is for the day. So anyway, if you're interested, just type in my name. Uh, Roy Showman, S-C-H-O-E-M-A-N, on uh, YouTube, and you should be able, you know, the search should take you to my YouTube channel. So with that, I see we have another caller. Are you there, Edwin? Yes. Thank you for taking my call, Roy. Sure. And basically what I just heard is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, since you pointed me to your YouTube live channel a couple of weeks ago, and I was hungry for the information and the knowledge you have through the, through the lens that you have. Uh, the daily feed has been incredibly powerful. I, I mean, you say you babble. I've been picking up world, uh, pearls of wisdom and thoughts that you've actually been able to share with your listeners. So uh, i just like to thank you and uh, for that and uh, by God's grace that you'll be able to continue your daily because I'm now pushing it to anybody I can call who might even have such an interest about learning about some thoughts about what's happening in this current events in our election cycle. So it's really powerful uh, to counter the fake news, as they say, that's out there. So I thank you again, Roy, for that. Uh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for watching. And I will stay away from being overtly political, but um, what's obvious from the stories that I'm reading here is that the political and the spiritual are not too disconnected from each other worlds. That in fact, the political events on earth are like the tip of the iceberg that breaks through. But what really 
you know, the, uh, what's really behind it is the spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle. And that's why prayer is absolutely critical for having the right outcome in world events, world affairs. And, um, I probably will only have time for one more of these stories, which is a wonderful story of World War Three, uh, which would have happened, it looks like, in about 1984, 1985, having been averted by a uh, Marian miracle. And uh, the Franco-Prussian War uh, was, I think, it ended, and I believe it was 1867, 1876, by an apparition or following an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We all know about Guadalupe and the Aztecs, the Aztec kingdom, uh, essentially the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in, in ending that um, horrible civilization that was had tens of thousands of human sacrifices a year. Of course, they were pikers compared to us because I think in this country, it's um, you know probably millions of human sacrifices a year, certainly hundreds of thousands through abortion. But in any case, if we want the world to turn the right way, then that's only going to come about through our prayers and to a large extent through our, our prayers through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and for the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I guess that's as political and as I'll get. What I'd like to also add is, I'd like to add is that basically you're actually instructing spiritual martial arts. I used to train in Korean karate. And before you even did the kick or the punch, meaning the movement, you had to have a thought. Like, if they can't touch you, they can't hit you. You know, the spacing between each other. And then when you close the gap, what do you do within that range? And some of your thoughts are leading me to understand, like this, I, I just listened to your earlier uh, live type view, just uh, live YouTube live. And the consecration prayer right now, I want to commit to memory basically being the property of the Virgin Mary. Uh, that's incredible. Um, but that insight is really, really definitive. So I thank you again, Roy, for that. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, as, as you know, if you watch my uh, YouTube live stream, I'm a strong believer in plagiarism. Uh, truth is truth. And I don't care. You know, I don't care if I have to, you know, hear it from somebody else to know it and then repeat it. I'm perfectly happy. And um, so like what I really am doing mostly is repeating wisdom, sec, you know, from other people. And the, what you're referring to is of course, uh, some very beautiful wisdom from a very prominent exorcist, uh, father Chad Ripperger. And, um, and of, of course I do on this show too. I very often do readings from saints uh, readings of the church fathers, uh, in the desert fathers in particular, because, you know, why reinvent the wheel? The spiritual wisdom that comes from above has flowed through people with much better connections to heaven than us. So we would be foolish and irresponsible not to take advantage of that. Anyway, it's, a it's, it's obviously my day because I see we have a third caller and, uh, I think you're on the line. Are you there, Anna? Yes, I am, Roy. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure, a, it's a pleasure. A long-time listener. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, in the the uh, Battle of the Marne, 
we had this great general who was very um, spiritual and very much dedicated to Our Lady. Were his did he get his troops to pray as well? And how might that have affected the end? And I'm trying to relate this back to the um, spiritual and secular situation and the looking for a just resolution to the U.S. Um, presidential election. And you know, who is the general today who is leading us in prayer? And how do we, you know, get the troops on their knees yeah. and not giving up and saying, "Hey, it's." It looks like they're legion out there, but you know we've got we've got the uh, spiritual uh, high end on our side. Yeah. Well, first of all, as as um, well, you may not know because, uh, but if you listen to that um, exorcist that I've been quoting from the last couple of days or replaying, um, the one thing we're called to do essentially is not give up. The enemy's tactic, and this exorcist must have done hundreds, at least, of exorcisms. I, this is, uh, I mean, he's really wonderful and a very senior and experienced exorcist. And he says that the situation in this country um, is something that he's also seen very frequently in exorcisms. Because basically, Satan has a personality and he has a kind of strategy that he uses and the demons have a personality and they have a strategy that they use. And basically they are dependent on discouragement because and, and he says, even in exorcisms, the demons tactic is to discourage the possessed person and discourage the exorcist into giving up. Because if they persist, if they simply plod along day after day and keep, you know, their nose to the grindstone, then the demon's days are numbered. But if the demon can convince them that it's hopeless and they might as well give up, then he's won. And that is, as a matter of fact, St. Ign uh, Ignatius of Loyola said that the devil... Um, he said in a way that I don't feel free to say because it's a little bit male chauvinist, but he said, the devil is like somebody who actually in a sense, like a bully who, um, if you start to retreat, there is no end to his fury. But if you, if you stand and face him down, then he flees. And we see this, um, we see this in the use of the mass media to discourage us. The, the, the purpose, the primary purpose of using the mass, the mass media to discourage us is to get us to give up hope and stop praying. I know it's got other serve. It serves other purposes too. Um, but it's primary purpose because it's primarily a spiritual battle. It's primary purpose is to get us to basically stop praying and just figure you'd throw in the towel, you know, figure the fight is lost. So I personally think that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of hope for a happy outcome, but in a way that doesn't matter for, we know that the outcome will be what God wants. And we know that God wants us to pray for as godly an outcome as possible. And 
if we pray for as godly an outcome as possible, and if we keep praying, we are doing the right thing in the eyes of God, whatever the outcome is. And if we stop praying, we're doing the wrong thing in the eyes of God, whatever the outcome is. So really, you know, I should get to your question about General Falk or Marshal Falk and, and his relationship to his troops. But using that situation as a analogy, you know, we're infantrymen. Our job is to follow the command of our general. And our general is telling us, pray without ceasing, pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary, pray rosaries, and stay faithful and know that my will is always sovereign and I can bring about any outcome that I choose. We're not the general. We don't actually have to know what the what the future of the battle is. We have to know what our job is and we have to do it well. And that job is praying and maintaining simultaneously hope for a happy outcome and confidence in divine providence. So um, as to your specific question, because you didn't ask for me to preach, um, all I know is that, um, is that Marshal Falk had the uh, Sacred Heart embroidered onto the French flag on his uniform, and many of his men also did. So that certainly suggests to me that many of his men had a devotion to Jesus and devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And of course, this is France. We all know the story of Joan of Arc that who marched under, you know, a banner, a, a Marian, you know, a banner. I forgot what it said, but it had Jesus and Mary on it. And, um, you know, they, so they, they knew, I guess is what I'm saying. The, the, I think that the soldiers, we're very aware of the kind of military history of France and the religious political history of France. And the, um, therefore I suspect that many of the soldiers were, um, took prayer seriously and took the intercession of the blessed Virgin Mary seriously. However, you know, I don't know much more than occurred, appeared in this, um, in this account. So I, I can't really speak authoritatively. So did the I, French soldiers happen to see her? Did, was it only the German soldiers that saw this apparition or did the French soldiers say? That? No, I, I, as I understand what happened, um, she actually, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen drawings, uh, in a French illustrated magazine of representing what the Germans saw. Cause some of them did describe her and it's as though they saw her huge in the sky you know, like holding out her hand, stopping them from moving forward. And as some of these accounts said, they were stopped in their tracks. They, they, their feet were glued to the ground. They could not advance. They could not move. And it sounds like that was, um, that was for them, so to speak. They saw it. She, um, stopped them from moving. Uh, I don't think that the, you know, she had any role in, in revealing herself to the, the French, so to speak. So, um, well, great. thank you so much for taking my call. I sure. just want to say thank you for my, my three adolescent, late adolescent sons who love you dearly and are keeping close to Our Lady and our faith because of your uh, expert preaching as well. Oh, thank you so much. That's, so that's much. very, very encouraging. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't have the account before me, but Padre Pio, I, I think there was a 
if I remember correctly, maybe a U.S. bomber pilot who was on a bombing run in Italy, and he saw he saw he saw this Capuchin monk in the sky in front of him, you know, like you know, holding out his hand, stopping the plane from advancing, or or making the gesture that he should you know turn around. And then later, when he saw a picture of Padre Pio, he flipped out and said, oh, that's the monk I saw in the sky, you know, stopping me from continuing on my bombing run. So it's not unheard of. It's not unheard of. Um, you know, we live, uh, our culture wants us to believe this myth that, that um, belief in religion, and in particular, belief in the Catholic faith, is a subjective choice with no objective proof or reality or evidence behind it. And if they can get the world to believe that, then they can, of course, undermine the faith. I think most of us who have been to college um, or actually been to high school or been to grammar school have been told that all of the evidence, all of the proof is for science, it's for materialism, it's for this kind of strict um, rationalist materialism. And, uh, you know, you can go out on faith, you can kind of choose to believe something that doesn't make any sense and be religious, but there's no evidence for it. Um, and if it, exi if it were real, there would be evidence for it. Nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. There is an infinite pile of evidence for the truths of the Catholic faith. Uh, we have the Tilma of Guadalupe, which is a woven cactus cloth that lasts at most 10 or 15 years. And it's lasted totally undamaged for about 500 years now. Um, we have the Shroud of Turin, which even today, there's no scientific, I don't want to use that word, there's no materialistic uh, explanation for the image on it. And even today, all of modern technology couldn't counterfeit the image, couldn't produce the image on the Shroud of Turin. It was miraculously produced and um, we could not fake it. So how could someone have faked it in the 13th century or whatever? We have the Eucharistic miracles, uh, including recent ones, 1999 in Buenos Aires, when, when the bishop was Bergoglio, who's now Pope Francis, 2007 in Portugal, not Portugal, excuse me, Poland. In both cases, the host had turned into human blood and human muscle tissue, which was given to forensic scientists, doctors, without them being told where it came from. And they identified it as human heart muscle tissue of a man who died in great agony. And they were amazed and astounded when they were told where it came from, which was a consecrated host had turned into it. And these, these were, I mean, these were legitimate, you know, university professor, forensic scientists. Uh, the, this specimen was placed under an electron microscope in one of those cases. And the electron microscope actually showed that um, in this case, the host had partially turned into human muscle tissue and so a little bit of it had been left in the form of the wafer. And the electron microscope showed the cells morphing from, from, um, from wafer to human muscle cells without any discontinuity, without any boundary between them. 
this is scientific evidence. Um, one could go on and on and on and on for the proofs. You have the medical miracles at Lourdes, which are very seriously examined before they're approved. There has to be no natural explanation. They have to be virtually instantaneous. Um, they, uh, um, there has to be documented proof, x-rays and photographs and stuff of the condition before the healing and after the healing, and they have to be permanent and so forth and so on. And there are hundreds that have passed all those tests. We have the evidence. We have the evidence. All they have is their own pre-existing faith, so to speak, their determination to believe what they want to believe, even if all of the evidence is against it. G.K. Chesterton has this wonderful quote, those who believe in miracles believe in them on the basis of the evidence. Those who do not believe in miracles refuse to believe them in them on the basis of faith. So anyway, I don't know why I got onto that rant, but, but, um, you know, these, 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 um, interventions in, in political history, you know, in, in world events, you know, you know, from Padre Pio appearing between a, before a, a bomber pilot or the Blessed Virgin Mary stopping the German army in its tracks. You know, that's a harder kind of evidence. I mean, it's harder in the sense that you don't get photographs of it. You don't have, you know, you don't have, um, you can't put it under an electron microscope, but we, we have all the evidence. We have all the evidence. So anyway, with that, I see to my great delight, there is another caller. Are you there, Diane? Yes, I'm here, Roy. Uh, did you have a comment or a question? Can you hear me? Yes. I, I do, yes. So I was thinking in terms of the consecration um, that a lot of us Catholics have been probably doing from Father Chad Reppinger. And this all came to me. Do you think that, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but do you think it'd probably be the best idea for us to also pray that prayer for those on the opposing side? Because obviously in this battle, we don't want anything terrible to happen to the United States, to ourselves, to our family. Um, but we also are worried about souls. And so their souls could possibly be lost. I agree a thousand percent. They believe. And so... Yeah, but we I shouldn't. I, I, and in terms of like that particular consecration prayer, even putting maybe some of their names and who we know are, you know, put, they they fall into witchcraft or they fall into the lives of um, the father of lies. I I I there's the, half of what you're saying. I agree a thousand percent, and half of it I want to uh, nuance a little bit. We definitely should be praying for their souls. There's no question about that. But I don't think we have the authority to consecrate them to the Blessed Virgin Mary. That, I mean, we can only consecrate something that we possess ourselves. You know, you can concentrate, a, a parent can consecrate their child. You know, we can concentrate, a consecrate, if you're referring to the prayer that Father Rippinger, Rippinger, has been, um, you know, has come up with, where we consecrate all that we possess. We consecrate our all our material goods. They're in our possession. We turn them over to Mary. We consecrate our souls. That's our possession. We turn it over to Mary. We consecrate even all of the merit of our good actions. That belongs to us. We 
turn it over to Mary, but we can only give away something that we own and we don't own their souls and we don't own their free will. So I don't think we're in a position to consecrate them per se. We can certainly pray for their salvation. We can pray that um, the Blessed Virgin Mary brings about their, their repentance, their conversion, their turn towards the truth and their turn towards God. Do you see what I mean? But that's not exactly the same thing as yeah. consecrating them. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you. Because, I mean, the thought is, obviously, we want as many souls to have that veil fallen from their eyes as well so that they can see the light of Christ in them. Oh, absolutely. I'm just, your opinion on that. I'm, I'm just pointing out that consecration is, in a sense, almost a technical thing. We're, we are giving something that we have rights over and we're giving up those rights and saying we transfer those rights over to the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's like we have a deed to our house. We're signing over the deed to somebody else. We own something, so we have the right to sign over the deed. If we don't own something to begin with, we can't sign over the deed. But we certainly can pray for her to enlighten them, to um, give them the grace of conversion. And I will end with a story, because I have to end the show. But... The um, commandant of Auschwitz was a um, very bad Catholic, needless to say, and um, the suffering that he inflicted on the inmates of Auschwitz are, you know, unmentionable. But uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, who of course died at Auschwitz, never stopped praying for the conversion of the commandant. His name was Hus. Uh, I think it was Rudolf Hus. I'm not sure if his, uh, I remember his first name, but Commandant Hus. And not only did St. Maximilian Kolbe continually pray and offer his suffering for the conversion of the guards in the camp and the Nazis, and specifically Commandant Hus, but he encouraged everyone else to. And after the war, when Commandant Hus had been, Hus, um, had been arrested by the uh, allies and tried at Nuremberg and sentenced to death by hanging. When he was awaiting his hang, he had a huge conversion in the cell and he repented of what he had done. He recognized the horror of what he had done. He actually welcomed the death sentence because he saw the death sentence as the only just outcome for what he had done. He wrote a beautiful letter to his wife expressing his repentance and conversion, a beautiful letter to his children. Um, expressing his repentance and conversion. And he went to the scaffold accompanied by a Catholic priest and he received the sacraments and the last rites and, and went to confession, presumably. And he probably ended up in pretty good shape. And that was, I believe, due to the prayers and the sacrifices offered for his conversion by the people that he was persecuting the worst. If somebody has hurt us terribly. We have, like, our prayers for their conversion are turbocharged. You know, they're, they're, they're mm -hmm. 20 times more powerful than they would have otherwise be, been. Nobody has more influence over bringing about the repentance and conversion of somebody else than if that person has been personally injured and hurt by them. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking my call and God bless you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Uh, the other story is going to have to wait for another day. We've come pretty much to the end of the hour. I want to thank you for listening and uh, thank you for your, your calls.
and I will, I think I can't do better than to go out with the music that we came in with and uh, another Hail Holy Queen. And um, maybe I have time to, well, I think we all know the words of, uh, so I'll, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So here goes. Salve Regina Mater Misericordia 